Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with the man, the myth, the legend, the innovator of Nitro, the only man to put Vince McMahon on his ass for 83 consecutive weeks. Well, how about he created the NWO and convinced Hulk Hogan to be a bad guy? The accolades continue. Eric Bischoff is with us. Eric, how are you, man? And all that got me was a quick trip. Nice visit to Minneapolis with my brother and sister. And here I am sitting down with you once again, excited to do another 83 weeks episode. I'm so excited. Well, I'm excited too, but before we get into it, uh, I did that different style entrance for you today because when Kevin Nash was asked on Twitter this past week, do you think Eric Bischoff should have went in with the rest of you guys for the NWO? Kevin corrected the person asking the question and said, no. I think Eric should go in on his own. And I thought, man, finally, one of the boys standing up for you. And one of the guys who was really at the center of this NWO controversy through no fault of his own. Uh, what say you, what would your Twitter look like this week when you got a lot of support from all over the world that, Hey, Eric should go in on his own. You know, it's always flattering. It always makes you feel good when, you know, people recognize you for, for your work and are supportive. You know, it's nice to get that every once in a while <laughs> compared to the rest of the, the stuff that comes through my feed. Um, you know, it made me feel good. Look, Kevin is, Kevin's a great guy. We've got a long and um, colorful history together. He speaks his mind. He will always tell you how he feels. Um, so, yeah, it made me feel good. And it's always great to see that kind of support. I'm not going to lie about it. Well, we appreciate your support here on the show. We're doing something that we're going to need a little help with the support. It's the March 6th, 2000 Nitro. We're doing it watch along style. And I got to tell you, Eric, I love these, uh, these watch along style shows with you because, uh, you know, you'll sort of pivot between us having a conversation and doing silly commentary and it's proven to be fun, but it's also fun when, well, the shows aren't very good. I think that makes the best watch along. And, and I don't know if you've seen this show, but my friend this week qualifies for that. You know. No, I, I, I started to, and I like to be prepped and I had this idea that I wanted to try on this episode and I'm not re quite ready to give it a whirl yet. Uh, it's a watch along kind of, uh, technique. I'd like to get to, to try out and see if it worked. And I, I thought, well, I'm going to take a look at this show and see if I can make this fit this week. And I, I, I just dropped in, like I didn't start at the beginning. I just dropped in on a couple uh, parts of the show to see what it felt like. And I said, nah, this is not the show for that. Um, this one is too chaotic. It's too funny on its own. I'm not going to make it any more entertaining than it already is. To your point, you know, when you go back and you look at, you know, train wrecks like this it, and look at it from the perspective of having fun with it, the show is funny enough on its own that I didn't need to try to add anything to it. So I thought, I thought, no, nah, I'm not going to watch it because I, one of the things I love when we do these shows, you know, is uh, this is like the, seeing it for the first time for me. Um, I'm, I'm sure I watched the show. I don't remember watching it, you know, 
know, as I was preparing to come back to WCW at this point. But for whether I watched it before or not, it, it's been 20 years, one way or the other. And it's, to me, it's just like watching it for the very first time. And, you know, you, you think, wow, this is 20 years ago. So not only are you watching it, yes, it's a train wreck, and there's a lot of things that are, you know, ridiculously funny about it. Um, but at the same time, it was, you know, it's 20 years ago. The, the, the industry was different 20 years ago than it is today. So it's just so much fun. So I, to answer your question without going around the block 300 times, I kind of watched a little bit of it, but not enough to, to say I'm familiar with it. So we're going to kind of take it as it comes and ad lib it. Before we move on, I feel like we should talk a little bit about last week's episode. I saw a couple of our listeners on Twitter, or maybe they haven't listened and that was the issue. Uh, really taking issue with, uh, you sort of defending Hulk Hogan and, and, and parts of his stance that, Hey, the, uh, the powers that be at WCW just aren't putting stars on TV. They're putting guys like Billy Kidman, blah, blah, blah. And for whatever reason, a lot of the Russo fans said, Oh, he's burying Russo for trying to list young guys and, uh, or, or push young guys. And, uh, I thought we were pretty clear last week. Russo was not there for that. So we, and we were, we were very clear that this was not a Russo book show. So it would have been impossible for Russo to be booking something that you took issue with. If Russo wasn't even there and he's not there for this week, either the, what we're talking about today, March 6, 2000, this is when Russo's home. So I want to say that right up front. I, I don't know why it just feels like, well, it's an emerging market. Uh, no, seriously, we, uh, I, I enjoy the interactions on Twitter, but I was just taken aback a little bit last week when people said, Oh, I couldn't believe that they would bury Vince Russo for trying to develop new talent. He, as, as Bruce always says in his favorite Davy boy accent, he wasn't even there. Like uh, we're not, this has nothing to do with Russo guys. Uh, and, and I, I know you hate me when I say this, but I've had a great time hanging out with Vince. I think I found him to be a charming, engaging guy. I, I don't dislike Vince at all. But it's like, wait a minute, guys, did y'all even listen to the show? We very clearly said Russo was not here and he's not here either. It's March 6, 2000. We're about two weeks away from the uncensored pay-per-view where we saw Sid retain the world title by beating Jeff Jarrett, uh, Hulk Hogan beat Ric Flair in the Yappa pie strap match, uh, which is an Indian tribe. I mean, there there's so much good stuff to unpack, including that famous Hulk Hogan promo. Without further ado, let's have you fire up your WWE network again. It's March 6, 2000. We're going to watch this WCW Nitro together. Thankfully, this is not a three-hour Nitro. It's a two-hour Nitro, so it's one hour, 31 minutes, and 54 seconds. I'm going to give you a countdown, and when I uh, say play, you press play. Here we go. In three, two, one, play. I got to tell you, Eric, I know it's a different WCW when we see this version of the logo, which Tony Schiavone has always referred to as an exploding vagina. Yeah, I always, I, I thought of it as kind of a cat's ass, you know, did you ever see like this big old barn cat kind of walking away from you with their tail sticking straight up in the air and you, it, it looks exactly like a cat's ass to me, but you know, everybody has, it's, it's, what do they call that? Like a Rohrbach test where, you, you know, different people see different images and interpret them in different ways. I think that's what it's called. Um, but yeah, that it looks like a cat's ass to me. I thought it was Shaq, but either way, Hey, in the back, we got fit Finley and Vampiro, both with matching casts. It looks like uh, one guy dressed like he's a dad at a no limit soldier concert. The other guy dressed like <laughs> he's an extra from the misfits. And here comes the pyro man. Even here in 2000, 
nice little start. I like the lower third old school fire underneath. Very reminiscent of the good old days of nitro. Yeah. And if you're, if you're not able to watch along with us and you're driving to work or you're listening to this while you're working, don't have a monitor to look at, kind of set the stage here. You know, one of the things when I first dropped in on this show that the first thing that popped out, you know, to me before I started laughing at what I was seeing in the ring was, um, the difference in production values. If you, if you happen to watch the show, or like I said, if you're driving, it looks good. You've got a good crowd. The, the, energy is high you've still got a lot of signs in the ring and people are still a lot of signs there's a nice big wide shot there everybody around ringside was bringing their signs and participating in the show that way on one hand the show looked pretty good from a from a crowd energy standpoint as we're watching um Juventud Guerrera opening up the show which is kind of cool I dig it I dig it a lot uh but to me the production values you know if you look at this show and you go back and look at a show from late 98, even early 1999, um, the, the production values here have, have really been reduced. The lighting in the audience is probably been reduced substantially. Um, they're shooting a lot tighter. If you notice when you watch the show, most of the shots are a lot tighter now. Oh, wow. And we're watching it's Kaz Hayashi. He looks awesome. Yes, he does. I like the, uh, the look of the junk dragons. He's coming over the top on both Hooventude and psychosis. Hooventude trying something new in this era. He's calling himself the juice. He's uh, clearly doing an homage to the rock. Uh, and he's trying to, uh, piggyback a little pop culture when he says he's living La Vida Loca, which was a big Ricky Martin song, uh, that was on fire, I guess in this era. And, uh, you know, I always appreciated when Hoovy was, was trying to do something. Uh, because it was done through broken English and became a comedy look. And that may have been what he was going for, but whether he intended for it to be or not, it was unintentionally funny to me. And we've got Cass Hayashi and Hoovy in the, in the ring right now. Um, that's psychosis. Oh, that's psychosis. I'm sorry. We cut away with psychosis. Both of these guys look like they're in phenomenal shape. Cass Hayashi, this might've been best shape that he was in oh nice jump spin back kick by Kaz Ayashi and that's one of the things that made watching Kaz so entertaining Kaz had a tremendous amount of experience in lucha he worked in Mexico probably more often than he worked in Japan he was back and forth quite frequently but he could shift gears he could work either style very very well and he had, he had a legitimate martial art uh, martial arts background which made his kicks look even better and crisper yeah really really good stuff here I was always a big psychosis fan. Going to be hard for me not to be a fan of, uh, of him opening nitro. Now, and going back to Hoovy, as you were talking about, you know, we often talk now as we reflect back to, you know, the late nineties or in early two thousands about some of the most underrated wrestlers. I think, you know, psychosis, um, Kaz Hayashi at this point, obviously Hoover to Guerrero. Any one of these guys would stand up and be highly competitive, I think, on anybody's roster anywhere in the world today at, at this level. They were really, really, it, it, I think, ahead of their time in many respects. Now you got this mishmash that we saw opening up the show, the battle of the cast that started backstage, opened the show up. The idea, I think, was that they wanted to open up hot, which I understand. I was a big proponent of opening up the show hot as opposed to opening it up with promos. Uh, it just, you know, it made you feel if you were watching at home. And I think, again, I've talked about you know, this before. Um, one of the reasons that I'm kind of 
I don't want to say bored, but one of the reasons I probably don't engage with the current product, at least in WWE, as much as I probably should or would have otherwise, is it's be- the, the format is so similar each and every week. You can almost set a clock to it. And it's changed a little bit over the last few months, but it's still pretty much the same formula that it's been for a long time. And I always believe that when you mix that up, when you open a show hot or when you do something that you don't normally do, it reinforces the fact that the show is live. Right. Because with live, you know, the underlying messaging and premise with a live show is that anything can happen. But when you open a show up, with God, the action in the ring is so good, I want to call it. Oh, and artist formerly known as Prince Ikea is making his way to the ring. And I love this character for him, by the way. But going to my point, when you when you mix it up, when you do something that's unexpected, you're reinforcing that this is a live show, which is one of the, the unique selling propositions of a show like this is it's live, whereas you know most television is not. Anyway, sorry, I babble on. You know, I'm watching this. There's so much great action going on in the ring right now. And the artist formerly known as Prince Iakea came into the ring. And now you've, you you see Hoovy and Psychosis kind of doubling up on him. So I'm, I don't know what the storyline was here. Obviously, I have my audio turned down. Nice uh, spin wheel kick off the top rope by Psychosis. That was pretty awesome. But going back to the artist formerly known as Prince Iakea, I'm really loving what I see here. And I know that you you got a real you know, negative feeling about uh, the artist formerly known as Prince Iakea. Or Prince I.K., but this character, I think you'd have to agree, is excellent for him. He's playing it well. No, I don't have to agree with shit. I have an irrational hate for him, and it's still irrational. <laughs> Listen to you. What the fuck? I know. It doesn't make any sense. By the way, Kaz Hayashi beats Psychosis there, four minutes and 38 seconds. I guess we should have mentioned at the top of the show the reason Fit Finley and Vampiro were getting into it in the back. Uh, Fit was actually choking Vampiro after promising to teach him some respect last year. And I like that they kept it going where they brawled to the front. And there you see TV sexiest big man, Mark Madden, next to a very svelte Tony Schiavone. And uh, on the way here, we saw a little sponsored element from Castrol CTX or GTX rather. Uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, these sponsored elements that you guys would sell to someone like Castrol. Well, I think the Castrol uh, GTX in particular was a result of the investment that WCW made in NASCAR. Uh, I think that would have been about 97. I have to go back and look at notes and do some research, but probably 97, 98, WCW sponsored a Bush Series car um, and and spent a lot of time promoting NASCAR. Um, 
And I think that's the kind of thing that brought some of those sponsored elements in, even though at this point, the ratings were obviously uh, deteriorating a little bit or a lot, depending on your point of view. We were probably only, I emphasize only delivering, oh, I don't know, a ratings point was probably worth about 980,000 households. There's two points. One people or whatever the formula was, I think 2.1 or 2.3 people per household, according to Nielsen at the time. So we were still, I should say, I wasn't here at this point. We're still probably delivering on a bad night two and a half or three million viewers uh, on average, uh, even in 2000 when things had kind of fallen off the rails. So even though, as I was saying, the, the ratings may have been done, been on a decline, we were able to attract sponsorship because of the investment that WCW had made in NASCAR a year and a half or two years previous. Now, I'll tell the folks what we're watching. This is like the worst fucking pull apart known to man. And then we cut to Jeff Jarrett and the Harris brothers. I don't know what the fascination was with the Harris brothers. They never did it for me. So now we're going from one backstage segment. If you're driving down the road, if you're in your truck, if you're in your car, if you're in your office, standing, standing, working, doing whatever you do while you're listening to the show on your Raycon earbuds, hopefully, because I love them. We've gone to, we've cut from one backstage element to another backstage element to another backstage element. And without audio, I'm not sure what the, what the verbiage is, but, um, Hopefully that they're connected somehow because that's kind of a well they're not but you got to that's hear bad television right there. Listen brother. to Johnny the Bull here. It's right here. I love my cheese sandwiches, but I'm not going to eat another one until I get my hands on those two guys that are uncensored. And when I don't get my cheese sandwiches, I get very unpleasant. Right, Vito? Okay, this is how it's going to go. Harris boys, you like to jump us from behind, but you can jump us all you want. We're the tag team champions. We're the Italians. You got our presents tonight, Big Ron. You're going to get your ass kicked from Big Vito, Italian style. In my and another way. backstage element, Vampiro going nuts. Now, I'm, I'm not knocking this, okay? Because, again, context is king. Not really sure what the storyline is here. Well, we have a pretty good idea. Not really sure what this is building to. So it's not a bad idea to keep a little 15, 20-second thread throughout the night kind of reminding the audience that something is going to happen with these with these two characters, meaning Fit Finley and Vampiro. But, you know, stacking that many backstage elements back to back to back is kind of a bad idea in my opinion. I love Johnny the Bull's promo all about cheese sandwiches. And, uh, I love cheese sandwiches. Everybody knows I love my cheese sandwiches, but I can't even enjoy my cheese sandwich because these guys will piss me off. And when I don't get to enjoy my cheese sandwiches, I get pissed off. Tell them Vito. Wow. And here we see Ricky Rackman with the, uh, the worst fake stage party ever. Uh, if I ever go to a party like that, fucking kill me. Here's uh, another thing that drives me fucking nuts. And I guess it started, you know, back in the late nineties and still exists to this day. That whole idea of a camera rocking in and out of a shot. Yeah. I understand you don't want to, you don't want a shot to look static right. and, and locked down because then it looks even more fake than that did. Uh, but when you're rocking in and out of a shot like that, it just, you know, find another way to make a promo look interesting. Because that's just vertigo-inducing. I can't stand it. What do we have going on here? Yeah, this is uh, where you guys were. I mean, this is before you're back, I guess. But they're doing this road to spring break where they're going and taking all of these American Gladiator-style contests. And this is sponsored by WCW and Track Phone and Tough Actin' Tanactin. And you guys are doing this on college campuses. And here you see, uh, the superstars 
from WCW visiting a, uh, there's a very young Stacy Keebler visiting some, uh, college campuses. It's not a bad idea. And again, it was a sponsored element and those elements, as we've discussed, you know, previously on this show, sponsored elements brought in a lot more of a net, uh, to the bottom line, um, profit to WCW than even a commercial spot did just because of the nature of the relationship between Turner ad sales and Turner broadcasting and WCW. We were more or less a lost leader when it came to, uh, advertising. We, we did the work, we put on the show, we attracted the audience and didn't really participate in the revenue that we probably should have. And now we see the Harris boys in the NWO. What the fuck? Not only that all about this, they're coming out to the classic NWO song. So they're not, uh, to be clear, this is not the white and black or black and white NWO. And it's not the red and black NWO. And it's not the LWO with the Mexican flag. This is the silver and black version, uh, which is supposed to be led by Bret Hart. But as we know, he had his head kicked in the 19th row. Uh, so Jeff Jarrett is now the chosen one that was all sort of put in motion when Russo was still around. As we know, though, Russo is gone. So what's left of the NWO is believe it or not, Jeff Jarrett and the Harris boys. I just, it's a, it's a different look. And here you see the, uh, the Italians are going to be defending their tag straps against the NWO and disco Inferno as their manager and mouthpiece. I actually like, even though that hat, he should be written. No, I, you know, I don't get this and I don't want to knock, you know, the, the, the team here, um, was never a fan of Vito. I just wasn't Johnny the Bull. I kind of dug him as a character. And Disco, you know, we've talked about Disco so much. Again, I think he goes into that category in many ways and uh, of one of the most underrated talents there because he could cut a hell of a promo. He could get heat. He could, he, and he could sustain his heat. But that hat, that's not a heat hat. No. That's a what the fuck is wrong with you hat. You know, can you imagine? You got to try to make this stuff real. You know, you at least have to make an attempt to 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 uh, convey to the audience watching that this could be true. I know it's not. I'm I, as, as a wrestling fan. You know, I'm in the audience. I'm sitting at home. I'm having a a, a beer and eating some Fritos or whatever the fuck, and I'm watching wrestling because at this point in 2000, even though reality television television was really beginning to emerge in a big way about this point. You know, professional wrestling was always the real alternative to network television before reality, uh, before reality television. But when you do something that's just so profoundly stupid as putting that goofy ass hat on on the mouthpiece for the Mama Lukes, who were legitimately looking tough guy. I mean, I, I get it. They're a tough team, right? They're from the streets of New York. I get all that. And I can actually allow myself to buy into that until disco comes out. You know, with, with, with that ridiculous fuck. I don't even know how to describe that. It's like a cowboy hat, but it's like orange and black and red kind of flames and tie dye looking shit. It's just so corny and goofy that it takes the reality and believability out of the characters, the Mamelukes. It just takes it all away and, and, and throws it out the window. And by the way, let's talk a little bit about I know we, you know, we've touched on the fact that Russo wasn't here now a couple of times because he took his ball and went home, which is. Comet. I mean, it was a real strong pattern with Russo Hang on, for a long take time. Take a look at this finish here. So the NWO has oh. just won the tag titles. Billy Silverman's going to raise their hands, and as he's doing so in the aisle way, he winds up facing, uh, I guess, was the version of the uh, Titantron, 
<laughs> it looks like the television in my brother's basement, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and he sees, wait a minute. Uh, you guys switched out. The Harris boys did an old switcheroo. That wasn't the same guy. The titles can't change hands that way. So he's about to reverse his decision after seeing it on the big screen. I actually didn't hate that piece of creative, even though it was a little hokey. Uh, it's something that we at least weren't seeing every week. No, it's a, it was a good television story. It was an interesting way to to finish this up and continue the story. Going back to what I was saying, you know, once Russo had another breakdown and took his whatever and went home and pouted and whined and cried to whoever would listen to him, uh, Ed Ferrara was had been working. He came to to WCW with Russo as a writing partner. Ed Ferraro was still there, and at this point, I was communicating, you know, with Ed, not so much approving. Uh, creative, uh, although I was kind of overseeing it just to be aware of how we could possibly set up the best kind of relaunch when I came back. So I was very much aware of what they were going to do. I didn't really judge it good or bad too much. I just wanted to be aware, but it was really Ed Ferrara and probably Terry Taylor um, that, that had the strongest hand in the creative that we're seeing here. Uh, I didn't let Terry know that I was involved because you couldn't tell Terry anything that you wanted to keep confidential. And we weren't quite ready yet to announce me, uh, returning to WCW. So Brad Siegel wanted me to kind of oversee it, but do it discreetly without it making a whole lot of noise in the community. That's what was going on behind the scenes. I feel like we should mention here as we see it really breaking down here. I mean, they beat up a bunch of security guards and then when a, a policeman comes in with a nightstick. Actually, you know what? Now that I realize it, the only way the Harris boys retreated is when a black guy got in the ring. I'll let you figure that out on your own. Um, what, what do yeah, you Yeah, I don't, I don't want to go near that one, brother. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. Dumb is dumb. Whatever. Joke slam from the wall on crowbar. This went down, uh, last Thursday on thunder. And how about, how about a Rick Flair's, uh, or, or a David Flair promo? I'm going to play this one so everybody can hear David Flair. The wall. You know what I mean, Gene? I haven't known Crowbar very long, but I knew he lived for wrestling. And tonight, on my 21st birthday, I'm going to tear down a wall. Got it? So his 21st birthday, and that's real life here. Dave's birthday is March 6th. So, yeah, this is real. Uh. I don't know, man. It's uh, it's an interesting time in WCW, especially when Jeff Jarrett and Bob Vila glasses is your top guy. And we were wondering, hey, where are they? Where it looks like their their little uh, living room set is set in space. They just had black curtain around the room. Why would they do it that way? Do you think? Probably because the arena didn't have a a, a room adequate to stage it any other way i'm not sure what this uh, building looked like back then i can't remember it uh to be honest but oftentimes you'd go to some of these smaller older arenas particularly in the southeast because they you know those those arenas worked really well for smaller markets that didn't have you know 10 15 20 000 seat you know acts coming in and out on a regular basis so you'd have these smaller municipal auditoriums or you know coliseums and often they were built back in the 60s and 70s where the kind of production that we were doing even in the late 90s and 2000s didn't really require a tremendous amount of backstage area. Um, that was usually the case. And I'm guessing this was one of the older buildings, which is why they just didn't have the room to shoot it well. 
21. I hate this shot, by the way. If you're not watching this at home, this is a wide shot kind of looking at that cat's ass logo. I, I don't like the color green in here. Visually, it's just very, uh, I don't know. Just there's nothing about it that is appealing to me, other than the lower third graphics, which is reminiscent of the original Nitro kind of flames. Uh, it's about the only thing that kind of looks similar to the original Nitro, uh, Nitro, you know, version one. By this point, this kind of looks like a a well-produced indie show to me. Is what the vibe I have just watching this without commentary. By the way, you're. Uh... Your friend and mine, DDP, once told me that the reason WCW went out of business was this new logo and entrance set. You know, that's so funny. People have, yeah, you know, and, and I love DDP. And, you know, he's been in the business a long time. And, and he was privy to a lot of inside information that most of the boys who liked everybody to think they really knew what was going on in WCW. And they didn't. They show up, they do TV. They get on a plane, they'd go home. But many of them, even to this day, present themselves as experts in terms of what was going on and the decisions that were being made in WCW. And DDP's like like a lot of them with probably a little more inside information. But to suggest that one of the reasons WCW went out of business was because of the cat's ass logo. Eh, come on, DDP. I know you're passionate, but come on. You know better than that. Talking about plans, David Flair clearly did not have a plan. As we are closing up the scene, David Flair made his way to the top rope after blasting. Uh, God, I'm sorry. What's it, what was that character's name again? His opponent. That's uh, the wall. The, the wall. The wall. Right. So David Flair with his bronze-plated crowbar blasts the wall. Thinks he's got everything in the, in the can. Right up next to two tables that have been stacked on top of each other, decides to celebrate on the top rope only to get choke slammed through the two tables. Not a good plan. 
There is no insurance policy or warranty that can help you if you were to make a move like that. And clearly David Flair is wishing he had one, but he doesn't. And what was that chick's name? Daphne, right? Oh, oh. Here we got a replay of of David Flair going through the, the two tables. Nice shot. Good camera work, by the way, here. Walt took good care of him. David Flair did a good job taking that bump. I'm sure everybody was happy and healthy when they got to the back. And it's funny. When you get a good bump like this or a good spot like this, you know it's good when you get four or five replays out of it. And the slower the motion, the better it was. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think about, you know, the fact that this guy's been on TV for months now. And today's his 21st birthday, and he's celebrating by getting choke slammed through two tables uh, from the wall uh, and stretchered out on live TV. It's just awfully young. And by the way, what a scene this is the wall being confronted by Bam Bam Bigelow. What are you doing? This isn't what I tossed you. These guys got to pay their bills. I can't believe you would do that. They got bills to pay. And then of course there's something for your troubles. Down goes the, uh, the Bamster. That was a nice shot. By the way, you hit a camera up on top of probably the, the landing area and looking down at the wall, talking to Bam Bam Bigelow as Bam Bam Bigelow rounded a corner and confronted the wall and the camera, you know, got that shot. It was actually a good shot. Hats off to whoever uh, directed and and produced that looked pretty good. This is now we're going into the three count. So if you're not watching at home, if you're not able to enjoy the WWE network, and by the way, I really encourage you, I'm not shilling. I don't work there, never going to work there again, but I think the WWE network is awesome for going back and looking at some of the great stuff and not so great stuff that has kind of positioned us to where we are today in today's environment, but three count. Again, one of those underrated phenomena. I didn't give him enough credit at the time. This was a Jimmy Hart idea. He he conceived it. He produced it. He coordinated it. He wrote the music for it. And the talent, I think, was fantastic for it. And their opponents? What the fuck? Conrad, help me out here. Who is this? Oh, this is like the dog, right? Is that what his gimmick is? Yes, this is the dog. Uh, I had to look this up. This is Al Green. He's like the... He, he's like Rick Steiner and Scott Steiner, well, Rick Steiner, you know, with a fistful of Adderall, this is really bad. Unfortunately, we lost Al, uh, in 2013, but, uh, it's hard to imagine, but he, he used to be tag partners with, uh, with Kevin Nash, I think, right. One of the master blasters. I remember that he's not too good at selling though, or throwing punches. I don't think he's good at much in wrestling. No, he was just really well connected. Kind of a, uh, hmm, nutritionally, let's just say he was enhanced, I'm sure. He looks like he's going to explode. He's beat red, stiff as a board, and eating up three count here, who are really just in a rank to bump for him, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, they're just super balls for him. And we know one of these guys is going to go on to be a pretty big deal. And there he is, being gorilla pressed. Hurricane Helms, an early shot of Shane Helms there. And of course, Shannon Moore, he's actually going to get a little mic time when they do another one of these cutaways for these nitro parties. And I just feel bad for some of these guys because you could tell, man, they are just, while they have all the confidence in the world in the ring, when it comes to cutting a promo, they're way out of their element, super nervous. And, you know, WCW sold the sponsored element and we need somebody there. So let's bring three count. 
And yeah, that's unfortunate. There's not a better way to kill somebody than to put a mic in front of them when they're not ready. I mean, you can create the illusion in the ring and it's an art and so many people are so great at it. And I admire the, the people that have the talent to do it. Um, but man, you put a microphone in somebody's hand, no matter how good they are in the ring. And if you put that mic in their hand and they're not ready for it, it takes that illusion that you've created in the ring and just blows it up and it's hard to get it back. You can, you can lose, you can lose momentum for a character or talent so fast by, you know, by rushing that element. It's just unfortunate. It was really weird to see Brian Nobbs do pity city there on Evan courageous with fit Finley and not Jerry Sags. Yeah, that was, I'm not sure what the backstory is there. I'm sure that uh, there was most likely an injury or something involved. Um, Oh, this is what the second week in a row now, or third week in a row that we've seen, uh, knobs and fit together. Jerry's gone. Jerry's retired, you know, for a while here at this point. And so Brian knobs tries a singles career and sort of reinvents himself with all camo and doing some hardcore stuff. Speaking of reinventing yourself, a Meltzer would report bill Bush got the word this past week that Bret Hart would be back in July at the earliest. He received notice that as of February 16th, his pay was cut in half and that as of April 15th, he can be fired. Uh, Bush told Hart that he had no idea his pay was cut and it was something done by the legal department and they'd work it out when Hart comes back. And the Winnipeg Sun had a lengthy article on Hart's condition saying he doesn't remember what he did on Christmas or New Year's. And he said it's been harder on him than some people close to him and uh, may believe. And he's really injured. Uh, and uh, he's actually missing wrestling. So it, it's not your typical sort of, uh, hey, I'm going to sit this one out. It's. Hey, I'm in a bad way and you feel bad for that guy because you know, that's really the end of his wrestling career. Yeah. And Brett was, you know, so many things happened to Brett, <clears throat> you know, between the Montreal screw job and, and what happened, uh, with Owen and losing Owen. And I mean, it was just one kind of wrestling catastrophe after another for Brett. So I it definitely had sympathy for him at this point. You know, you hate to hate to end your career like, you know, Brett did in this in this situation. Uh, and Evan Courageous, who's normally pretty freaking nimble, got himself hung up. If you're not watching this at home, he looked like he was trying to make his way to the top rope or the middle rope to come off and uh, take it take some offense on Brian Nobbs and he got hung up in the rope, but it looked really bad. Here comes the dog. I would not want to be in this spot if I'm having courageous. Down he goes. Power slam off the top rope. That ought to be it. Nick. But what's Dog doing? He's making. What is he biting his ear or making out with him? It's kind of. I mean, Evan was a good-looking guy. I get it, but probably whispering to him about, you know, the uh, the all-new Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. Speaking of that, <laughs> but I've been I've been I've been pretty busy lately. You know. I, I'm just, just traveling and, and, you know, it's, it feels like I'm, I'm constantly in this state of unpacking, getting settled in. And then before I know it, I'm repacking and getting ready to, I'm, I'm Lord, really Mrs. B and I have been like fucking gypsies, you know, since July and we're finally packing up. This is the last weekend here in, in Minnesota where obviously we're, we're taping this show before Monday. It's a Friday morning and we're leaving tomorrow. going to head back to Wyoming and finally get settled in for three days so that we can go to Los Angeles and watch my daughter run a marathon, which we're excited about. Then I come back 
and finally get settled into Wyoming. But my point to this, without going around the block too many times, is that I've just, you know, I've been so busy. I haven't kind of taken care of, you know, what I should have been taking care of for Mrs. B. So I broke out my Manscaped kit yesterday. And I feel lighter on my feet as a result. There's something about being, you know, groomed below the belt, as you would say, that just makes you feel better. The world doesn't know, right? But you know, and it just changes your approach to life because you know that at a moment's notice, you know, you could be ready to go. You got a blue chew in your back pocket, you freshly groomed and trimmed and fresh and it's just something that makes you feel really good. Kind of like the Nitro Girls. We're watching the Nitro Girls in the ring. They were still they were still rocking it. Yeah, but conspicuous by her absence. No Kimberly, I guess at this point, she's either taking a break or she's out of here. I should have probably looked that up, but it was weird when I watched this show back to realize, wait a minute, Kimberly's not out there. Didn't uh, Kimberly and Scott Steiner have an issue and yes, Diamond they. Dallas Page have an issue? That might have been it. Had that already happened by this point? I'm not sure. You know, I'd have to go back and do my research here. Maybe you can pull up Dave Meltzer's dirt sheet. I'm sure he had tons to say about it. Yeah, I mean, pro- it probably was. Uh yeah, she quit in 2000. So there you go. And again, we open up wide with a cat's ass logo. And who's coming through the sphincter of the cat's ass? Well, the chosen. Three, three hookers and Jeff Jarrett. Oh, my God. <laughs> hookers. One of those is Medasia. One of those, of course, Tylene Buck. Have you seen what Tylene Buck is up to these days? Isn't she doing porn? Uh, kind of. You don't kind of do porn. You're either doing porn or you're not. What well, do you mean, kinda? Well, I'm just saying, like, she has a Twitter account, and she's uh, there's lots of naked pictures of her on there, uh, and she's selling, I guess, like uh, online modeling type stuff, and she also kind of like she, uh, well, I mean, that's online modeling. I mean, that's okay. I'm just she's saying, a cam girl. Okay, there you go. She's a cam girl, and actually, we've got some cam girls here on Nitro. I don't know if you've seen, but across from the hard cam on the opposite side of the ring, man, Tylene Buck was. Pretty roll tight here in 2000. Uh, they've got a couple of girls holding up signs that say, Hey, chat with me online right now. I mean, think about this. This is 20 years ago. And these girls were like, these are like the OG cam girls, but yeah, that's what Tylene Buck is up to these days. And if you're into it, Eric, and, and I, I don't know if you are or not, but she's selling uh, a, a replica of her vagina. <laughs> yeah. She's doing porn. That's kind of like what you do when your porn career is kind of on its way out and you've been into it for a while. Not that I know a lot about the porn business, mind you. I heard it, right? I used to know an attorney that represented a lot of porn stars. But that's once your career is winding down, you're probably getting to that age where nobody really wants to see you, you know, in a porn video. Then you start selling replicas of your body parts. Okay. Great gig. Go, I, girl. I, I didn't know that was the thing, but she's out there. You can throw it in your Google machine if. If you're in the need of such, but
So here we see <laughs> Mr. Perfect strutting ass into the backstage area. It looks like he's getting ready for a match. And we also saw, uh, I think that was Lenny and Lodi stumble onto the kiss demons coffin. Uh, and they've got plans for that coming up next, Ric Flair and Kurt going toe to toe. This has been a long time coming. What a feud they've had going back to one of the very early Monday night raws loser leaves town match. Perfect goes over flares back in WCW. And then eventually when Kurt jumps ship flair recruits him for the NWO, we know what happened there and they've been on a collision course ever since. And that was years at this point. There you see flair making sure, you know, he's got his footing as he makes his way down the ramp again. Uh, this, uh, logo, not the easiest thing to navigate when you're walking over lots of folks uh, who worked there said that, uh, it was a hazard, man. No, it was a hazard. It was, I mean, if, if, again, if you're not watching at home, you're getting a, a, a shot looking back towards the entrance of the cat's ass. And at this point, Ric Flair is coming right out of the cat's ass and he has to walk across the stage and then down this ramp, which is essentially a metal grid. And can you imagine what it must have been like for the Nitro Girls or Miss Elizabeth, let's say, somebody who's wearing heels, uh, walking down that thing? It's a wonder nobody got, you know, killed coming down that ramp. So you see this past Thursday, Lex Luger and Ric Flair whipping the shit out of Vampiro with Hulk Hogan's weightlifting belt that says Hulkster on it. They are setting up a strap match between the Nature Boy and Hulk Hogan at the pay-per-view in just 13 days. And we're going to play the audio from that Hulk Hogan promo in a little while. One of the most famous Hulk Hogan promos of the year 2000, uh, which I guess isn't saying a lot, but I had such a great time on our brother count a few weeks ago. We got great feedback when we did a brother count from Super Brawl and, uh, <laughs> prior to his match with Vader. What'd you get, uh, or what'd you see feedback wise about the Hulk Hogan promo on, uh, on Twitter? No, I think he started a thing. I think people are going to go back. They're going to sign up for the WWE network or, or watch it. Even if, if they've already signed up for it and go back and watch a bunch of Hulk Hogan promos and see where indeed we had the most brothers in any one promo. <laughs> you started something just like you did with blue chew, just like you're doing with manscape, just like you do with so many of our sponsors and we love our sponsors and we love the people who love our sponsors. That's why we're here. That's why we get to do this. That's why Conrad Thompson is taking his time out of his incredibly busy schedule taking over the mortgage world to do this show with me and for you because we've got the support that we have from our sponsors. But right now what we've got is Ric Flair in the ring. Rick is looking really good at this point. Isn't it? I mean, he looks like he's probably in the best shape he's been in in a long time. Yeah, I think he's he's 51 here and uh, in remarkable condition. Looks great. Of course, this is pre when he jumps over to the WWF, but when he first jumped over, I thought he looked really good there too. And, uh, and then father time catches up to everybody except our referee in this match, Charles Robinson, the true Benjamin button of professional wrestling. Shout out to Charles who has told me that he will only listen to our shows. Uh, if they're an hour long, uh, he says, when it's much longer than an hour, I just realized I don't care about it that much. So, uh, this is a short one. So. Thanks for listening today, Charles. I'm going to, next time I see Charles, I'm going to ask him about that. I mean, if he likes a show, he likes a show. Why would you like it if it's an hour, but not like it if it's two? Wouldn't you just listen for an hour and then come back and listen to the second hour and another point? Will you stop yeah, with all your logic? God damn it. You know, sorry. We, we get complaints on our show about our ads and people don't want to press the fast forward button or get it on Patreon. And 
you know, they don't like it when the show's an hour and a half, but they also don't like it when it's three hours. And sometimes they don't like it when it's two hours. It's dude, this is all a matter of taste. It's just like an observer star rating. It's just, you know, like it's subjective, man, right? Exactly. Subjective beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Conrad Thompson and I find those nice big checks from our sponsors. Beautiful. (laughs) Every single month. You know, what's funny is I think, uh, I think sometimes people forget that I only started doing podcasts to sell mortgages. And I think that's just now like catching up and people are like, Oh, he, this isn't his full-time job. Correct. Save with Conrad.com. I got to tell you, man, I'm a big fan. Uh, even though we could say, man, this is not the best you know, version of Kurt we ever saw. This is not the best version of Rick we ever saw. I think these guys just had natural chemistry and I don't know. It feels very old school. You know, that they're, they're playing it by feel they're quote unquote calling it in the ring and they have a lot of confidence in each other as a result. They do. But I just had a thought. If the only reason that you got into the podcast business was to sell mortgages. And now that you're, you're the king of podcasts, I want to sell mortgages. Well, I got an idea for that. We need to talk about off air. Cause, uh, I think if you were calling some of our 83 weeks listeners who are looking to save some money, it's like the best possible experience they could have. And Lord knows, you know, a thing or two about numbers. And how about, how about Tony Schiavone in jeans? Like, Nope, I'm out of here. Standing up, getting out of the way, a whole bucket of trash over there. I don't know what's going on with that, but I, I, I chuckled when I saw this and Tony Schiavone stood up and was wearing jeans. Yeah. I know he's sitting behind Of course, you know, people see it all the time. I guess we're aware of it. You know, when, when you watch people in, you know, in your local news, oftentimes, you know, you only see them from the waist up. You don't realize that, you know, you're wearing, you, you got a sport coat on a shirt and a tie and got your makeup on your hair is perfect. Or at least you try to have perfect hair. And then you're wearing Bermuda shorts and flip flops. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we got out of Tony. Hey, by the way, uh, we're, we're watching the WWE network and you've shielded it a few times today. And I'm sure they thank you for that, but, uh, you know, they don't. <laughs> okay. They probably they should, do. but they don't. You, um, you also said that you don't keep up with the current product because you find it just sort of formulaic. Uh, I'm sure you saw the controversy this past week in Saudi Arabia. A lot of people expected the fiend to beat Goldberg Goldberg. And it didn't go that way. Goldberg essentially squashed the fiend. I think like three spears and a jackhammer later, we were done and we have a new champion. What'd you think of uh, Goldberg going over the fiend and becoming the champ right here in WrestleMania season? Yeah. Let me clarify that, uh, that statement you made or I made that you repeated. When I say I don't keep up with the product, I mean that I can't sit in and watch an entire raw or I can't sit and watch, you know, an entire SmackDown. I do keep up with the product, but I do it kind of an, I do it a la carte. You know, if I know something's going to happen that I happen to be interested in or, you know, anything, Randy Orton, for example, if I know Randy's going to be involved in some kind of an important match or angle or a setup or, 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 you know, an end to an angle, you know, I'm going to tune in because I love watching Randy Orton work, you know, so there, and there's certain, you know, I love Dolph Ziggler. I love watching his work. I like Seamus, you know, there's certain characters that I watch 
that I, you know, kind of wished I would have had a chance to work with and I was excited about working with when I was in WWE most recently that I didn't get a chance to. So I keep up with it. I just don't watch it as religiously or as intensely as I used to. But I did hear about that yesterday. I didn't watch the pay-per-view. I was busy yesterday. But um, I did read about it. I followed up and, and did some research. And I'm surprised, honestly, for a couple of reasons. You know, at least when I was in WWE, I don't know what the situation is now. But his um, his merchandise, they couldn't they couldn't produce it fast enough. I mean, it appeared to me at least that Fiend was going to be one of those characters that could be an Undertaker esque type character over the long term. Mrs. Me just brought me some more coffee. Just what our audience needed. Eric Bischoff wired up on more caffeine. But um, I, so I you know given the the trajectory of the Fiend character. I was really surprised and no, nothing against Bill, but he's not a full timer. He's a part timer and Bill pretty much shit the bed last time he was in Saudi Arabia. So I was, I, I found that shocking, particularly, you know, the way they did it as quickly as they did it. And a lot of that might have had to do with the fact that Bill's not really the right guy to go out there and have, you know, a 20 minute match with a guy like, you know, with, with a fiend. I don't know. It's interesting though. Yes, it is. And we see a figure four leg lock applied here in the center of the ring. Ric Flair looking for the submission win here. Interesting color combination. Rick was rocking the blue robe, got the blue knee pads, the blue tights, but red boots. Uh, it's worth mentioning that this show, this nitro we're watching, uh, is coming to us from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. There's only 2,236 paid here for nitro, but there's another 26, 26 in comps. It's a $71,000 gate. Ooh, one year, that's a one year ago, this same building, uh, sold 16,000 seats. The very day tickets went on sale. And, uh, of course that's not the case here. Anyway, I'm saying that to say we're in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And of course, before flair got in the ring, he had to make sure that the fans knew, Hey, I'm a bad guy. God damn it. So he pushes, you know, Hey, don't you be cheering for me. You guys cheer for a basketball team that can't win 20 games. I want nothing to do with being here. We should be up the road at Duke where champions play. He's got to do what he can to get the cheap heat because we and it didn't work in flare country, but yeah, we've loved you for 20 years. We're not going to boo you today. How about that chick in the background? So see what I'm saying? Visit me online. I'm not going to give her web address and right beside it. Another one. So we've got two, like cam signs right there. Awesome. You know, they, they've often said that, you know, porn is probably the precursor for so many, um, I guess evolutions or, uh, emerging technology. You know, a lot of the technology that starts to emerge is really perfected in the porn industry. Um, and then it kind of evolves. So it's not surprising that this was the beginning of what has become a pretty insanely massive, uh, industry. Yeah. I heard, uh, once upon a time that when HD DVD and Blu-rays were both, you know, a thing, uh, Blu-ray wound up winning out because that's what porn went with. I thought that can't be right, but I guess at the time that was, and here comes, this is speaking of porn. Here's something we shouldn't be watching. Uh, Lex Luger swinging a bat. At Mr. Perfect, uh, perfect plex, or I'm sorry, Henning plex, and Kurt gets the win. Ric Flair, 
uh, in a losing effort here. Now he's going to throw out referee Charles Robinson. He's got the Hulkster strap. He's ready to do some whipping on Mr. Perfect. And here's the perfect package. Uh, yeah. Lex Luger trying to lay waste here with a bat right to the shoulder. Down goes perfect. And here comes Arn Anderson. Hey, how's Arn's podcast doing, by the way? Oh, it's great, man. It's uh, right here on Westwood one every Tuesday. Check us out tomorrow. If you haven't already, it's an absolute free show, uh, right here on Westwood one, anywhere you enjoy podcasts, just look for Arn A R N or follow us on Twitter at the Arn show. Uh, but we're doing a format where every other week it's just a Q and a, and I did that because I feel like that's when Arn can really let his personality shine. And Arn's in great shape here, man. He is. And I, I again, I, I know I, I push Arn and his podcast quite a bit because I'm a big fan of Arn and just the experience and the perspective that he has in the industry. But I, I still believe that Arn Anderson's podcast has the potential of be, being one of the better podcasts out there. He's he, really knowledgeable, funny, entertaining, and a great storyteller. So uh, big fan of Arn. Yeah, we've been able to talk about stuff from 1985 and 2018. So, uh, it's, it's a lot different than some of our other podcasts where we're really just talking about the old stuff. Arn can offer insight on, you know, Cesaro matches. So it's a different thing completely. It, I got to tell you, I get sad when I see flair in this, this trio here with, with Lex Luger and, and miss Elizabeth, because what well, we know these days, uh, Lex isn't getting around so great. And, and miss Elizabeth is no longer with us. You just, I don't know. It doesn't feel like there's enough happy endings in wrestling. And as I'm saying that we see the wall choke slamming crowbar through the announce desk and, and, and the wall also passed away way, way too soon. Yeah. That's always, it's odd when we, we watch these shows. Cause you just, it's easy to kind of go back in time and remember how things were. And you rem- remember people and, and stories and incidents and things like that. And you kind of, kind of, you know, remind yourself that some of these people, too many of them are no longer with us and it makes it even more unique to watch. How about Lone, uh, Loney, Lenny, Loney, and, I like <laughs> Lenny and Lodi, uh, pretending to weld the coffin shut, but they're really doing nothing at all. And then someone taps them on the shoulder and they both think it's each other tapping themselves. And then they realize, wait a minute, if I didn't tap you and you didn't tap me, who's tapping us. And they pivot six inches. And what do you know? It's the demon. They eventually get the better of him. And here's the Ricky Ratman promo we were looking at, or I was talking about earlier. I hate these fake party scenes. Uh, and there's a lot of them here. And I guess this is all sponsored elements. And we're trying to, you know, revive your sort of nitro party look, but this is all a mess to me. Yeah, and that's, you know, the Nitro Party was such a great phenomenon. You know, we we created it as a little bit of a stunt, an illusion, and it took on a life of its own. And people were actually sending in, you know, back then it was VHSs, believe it or not. But they were literally sending in videotapes of their own Nitro Parties every week. And a lot of the, the production values on many of them were just horrific, but it was legit and it was real. And the audience knew that. And when you try to recreate that, and, and actually, it's hard to say it was overproduced, but it was overproduced. It didn't look real. You know, we saw Shay, who was, I think, one of the hottest Nitro girls. No offense to any of the rest of them. They were all hot. But my point of view, she was one of the hottest. I think Kevin Nash agreed with me on that. But um, when you when you try to recreate something, the audience knows the difference, and it kind of loses its its impact. 
Well, let's just move right along. You, you were just slipping them in there and we just need to keep it moving as we see uh, a preview for the, no, Kevin and I agree on a lot of things. I was just with uh, Kevin and I were over in uh, Qatar and got to spend some time together, hung out a little bit after the show. Kevin and I see eye to eye on a lot of things. I don't know what you're alluding to. I'm not alluding to anything. I'm talking about nitro from March 6, 2000. I see the, uh, the set opening up and looks like Chris Jericho. Is that Lenny Lane? Oh my gosh. Doesn't he though? Doesn't he look like Chris Jericho? Gosh, the top knot, the shirt. Wow. Come on. Did he not model that character after Chris Jericho? hundred percent. It's funny because it wasn't on my radar and now I can't unsee it. Oh, that's, that's, oh my God. He even wore sunglasses, you know, to cover up the fact that he didn't look like Chris Jericho, but he sure gimmicked out like him. Nice try. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the difference between, between him and, uh, and Jericho these days is well, And there you see, uh, I got to tell you, even though the, their characters and their personalities may not have been exactly, um, my favorite characters in the history of wrestling, these guys are very capable performers, Lenny and Lodi. Uh, these are two power plant graduates, I believe, right? Yes, they are. Or they were, and they're in there with Norman Smiley. And this is not a great match for Norman. I I think the chemistry wasn't quite, quite there. Communication wasn't quite there, but Norman is getting his character over when uh, Norman first came out, made his entrance to the ring, ton of Norman Smiley, big wiggle support signs. And by the way, I just went to carrybox.com, the chick that's holding up the sign websites, no longer available. Can you imagine that? Well, unfortunately the, uh, the lifespan of a, of a porn thing is, is probably less than 20 years. We're talking way too much about porn on this show. I don't know why. Well, www.carrybox.com. I just went there. I just saved you the trouble. I I wasn't going. 
I'm still on Thailand Bucks Twitter. Are you? No. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to check it out now. Uh, God dang it! I really Connor. encourage everyone to not do that. Definitely, whatever you do, do not go to at the Thailand Buck. Don't do it. Yeah. Lenny Lane now just staggering around. Lord, don't go to this website if y'all are at work. This is NSFW all day. Oh man. So is what we're seeing in the middle of the ring. It looked like, oh, oh my God, Stacy Keebler. I know. I'm going to punch oh. Dave Silva in the mouth. You're going to punch who in the mouth? Dave Silva in the mouth. Why? Well, because he wrecked my car. And then I'm going to punch Dave Flair in the mouth. And I can't tell anyone why. Well, you got to tell me. No, but come on. Stacey just between you and I. Stacy Keebler's on TV. Oh, I get it. And by the way, I'm going to punch you in the dick. I'll never forgive you for talking to her on Playboy. <laughs> God damn it. I, I knew you were going to get I'm there eventually. I'm over again. I knew you would get there eventually. By the way, I love that she came out here to support Norman Smiley. And it's funny because I watched this back this week and I thought, well, that's kind of cool. The little wiggles out here to help the big wiggle. <laughs> the demon in here clearing house listen i want to like this but this just feels like as you said earlier indie wrestling not based on the work just based on the creative like big wiggle lenny and Lodi and the demon this is what are we doing here this is a stupid pairing well look you know we talked a little bit about you know russo and the fact that he hasn't been here now for a couple of weeks but keep in mind this is kind of a residual russo creative they were stuck with what they what they had to work with there was no real clear direction for wcw at this point russo was gone nobody really inside other than ed ferrara and brad siegel knew that i was coming back so they were just kind of doing what they had to do with what they had. It's kind of like, you know, when you walk into a bathroom, you know, a public bathroom in a restaurant or, or a hotel or whatever, and clearly you've walked in shortly after somebody else had just used and abused that bathroom and it just reeked and that reek just hangs around forever and you feel like you need to take a shower after you walk out. You know, that person is no longer there, but the, the remnants of what they left behind is and and just hangs in the air for too long of a time that's kind of what we're seeing here with creative this is the remnants of russo's stink that they're just trying to do the best they can with and there is the uh ufc leather jacket on a pole uh that tank abbott recently won as he marches to the ring i'm gonna play the audio of this promo goldberg nothing i'm gonna tell you last week everybody saw me beat the holy hell out of that big white-headed oaf I'm going to tell you right now, Sid, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. Go buy a lottery ticket because you're the luckiest man alive. He couldn't hold a candle to my jock strap. The only reason why I tapped wow. is because they were going to take me off TV. Well, you can't take me off of TV, can you? When I'm in shape, I'm the baddest man on the planet. And Sid, I'm in shape. Well, Tank Abbott has grounded this program nobody to a halt. WCW that can touch me. And I'm not leaving this ring. You can go ahead and start your matches. You do whatever you want. I'm not leaving the ring. No way. It's a hostage situation. Yeah, we got a match scheduled, but I he's commandeered the ring. Man, run your show. Run your show. Have your, this have program your show has come to leaving. a stop from a man who's not yeah, even. I, I tell you. I've been told from our production. What the fuck is going on? I understand 
you know, but a, a couple of years prior to this flair stopped nitro and held it hostage until you came out and handcuffed himself to the ring and stripped ass naked. And, and obviously they're trying to do something like that here with tank Abbott. Uh, thankfully he's not taking his clothes off yet, but he's just not the right guy to be cutting this promo. He's very uncomfortable. He's, he's mixing his cliches together. He's, you can tell he's way out of his comfort zone. And as a result, it's just not very good. You know what? We were talking about this just a little while ago on this show. You know, you can, you can be a great character. You can have it all going on in the ring. You can be believable. In this case, Tank was you know not a great wrestler, but he was perceived to be and was a legitimate badass. He may not have been a technically great badass, but as a bar fighter, bouncer, or as he built himself pit fighter, he was a legit you know, scary son of a bitch that he, he loved to fight and he was good at it in terms of street fighting. And he was able to bring that, you know, mystique that he created in the UFC back in the early days of the UFC before, you know, the Gracie's really kind of upped the game. And now you've got, you know, world-class premier athletes in the UFC. But in the beginning, it was guys like Tank. And, and it was tough guys. It was more like a tough man contest than it was a real athletic competition. But but Tank was one of those characters that emerged from it. And he had that – he had a mystique until he opened his mouth. His voice was about four, active, four octaves higher than you would think it would be, number one. And he couldn't string a sentence together. And it just, as I said early on in the show, you can build up this mystique. You create this character. You can make it believable. And within, you know – Half a dozen words, all of that goes completely out the window. And that's what you just saw happen with Tank. Happens too often. You know, people just, they, they rush, they, you know, producers, you know, it's not the talent's fault. The talent, you know, talent does what they're given the opportunity to do or what they feel they have to do. So you can't blame the talent. But from a producer's point of view, you know, you really don't want to give a mic to somebody who's not really comfortable doing it because it kills all all of the rest of the good stuff that they are capable of doing. Listen to me go on and on and on. I like, uh, 38 security guards walking Ming out. How about the cage over in the corner? That's where you guys would have girls dance when you're on commercial. Not you guys. That was, it was a Vince Russo's thing. You had a thing with chicks in cages. Oh, you don't like that? No, it's fucking stupid. I want a chick in a cage. What are you going to do in a cage? We should mention, of course, this show is head to head with raw, uh, nitro gets a 2.8. Do you want to guess what raw got? Mm, 2000 nitro got a 2.8, probably about a four, five, four, six, six point four. Oh shit. Yeah. You gotta remember this is WrestleMania season for them. How about the nitro girls do? So you've thing? got a combination you now between nitro, which was, you know, the wheels had fallen off. What did we get? A 2.4, 2.8. 2.8. So 2.8, let's call it 3 million households, even take oh, it down to 1.5. i got to play this audio here. Hang on. Dr. Properno, I want to let Dr. Unger know and Dr. Hughes know that the release forms have been signed. You guys are not responsible for the last couple fractures in the forearm, brother. The main priority in the Yapapai Indian strap match is to have flexibility on the wrist that you're strapped to your opponent with, brother. 
Because in the Yapapai Indian strap match, when you're in the four corners of the battle zone, the main priority is, is to get the body in the proper position for the strapation dudes. When I get Ric Flair right where I want him, when I get him out of wind, sucking air, sweating from head to toe, I will call to the strap master Jimmy Hart on ringside. And I will say, Jimmy Hart at ringside, give me Yapapai Indian punishment strap number one as I strap your body Rick Fire as you scream to the heavens for mercy as I see your skin start to bubble off your body you will drop your knees and you will say please Mr. Hogan please I can't take it anymore please I'm sorry I crossed the line and as I hear you beg for mercy, Ric Flair, that's when I'll call to the strap master, Jimmy Hart, for Yapapai Indian strappage number two. That's when the heavier belts will come out. That's when I will strap your skin and the flesh will bubble. That's when the flesh will start to peel from your hide. And as I see the raw pink meat on your back, brother. I'm gonna take it to another level. I will transform from Hulk to Hollywood. I will double strap you with both fists and you will scream to the heavens, please Hollywood, don't hurt me anymore and I will never stop. <sighs> Think Hulk Hogan's not pumped up. Dude. The Yapapai Indian strap match. Yavapai. Yavapai Indians, I think that's a southwestern Indian tribe, primarily in the southern Arizona um, part of the country. Who came up with that? I only know that because I'm a, I used to be, not so much anymore, but I used to love Native American history, and I've read so many books about Native American history. Oh, my gosh. Tori Wilson, what are we looking at here? Yeah, she's out here to just piss everyone off that. She's with uh, who Mark Madden would call John Cusack's twin brother, Billy Kidman. <laughs> but, you know, who else other than a nerd like me who loved to read about history um, would know what a Yavapai Indian strap match would be? No, it's, Who came up with that? There's got to be a Kevin Sullivan thing in there somewhere. I love the pronunciation from Hogan. The Yavapai. It's and, Yavapai. Yeah, but let's not let that get in the way of a, of a fun pronunciation. Meltzer would say, Terry Taylor's off the booking committee. You're going to love this. I want you to, I'm going to read this and I want to see if you can hear it without laughing. I'm going to start over. Terry Taylor is off the booking committee. According to those close to the situation, Taylor had the best ideas. <laughs> this wasn't a demotion and it had nothing to do with the situation WCW was in, but related to non wrestling aspects of life, but a decision we got to break this down. Brother. Taylor Come made on. voluntarily and perhaps only temporarily. He'll continue to work as a road agent. Nash was also dropped from the committee, uh, but he's already going over people's heads to get back on. The feeling was that Nash was a detriment to anything getting accomplished positively at the meetings. Nash is trying to sell the wrestlers. Uh, and there's probably some truth to this statement as well, that the people at the meetings are clueless on how to reach the demographic that watches wrestling. And that's why they need him. Others have joked that Nash pushing 41 was the one who supposedly understood the demographic the most, but was one who actually did the most damage to the company when he was in power of anyone. At this point, virtually everything of significance is being done by Sullivan and Ferrara. Uh, and, uh, there are infrequent meetings with others, but they're doing the bulk of the work. Ross Foreman is back on the committee to an extent, as far as being part of the meetings and the feeling 
is that Sullivan is giving a chance has been giving a chance right now to sink or swim. And when he sinks, either Taylor will be brought back or possibly even Russo. It's all mind boggling at this point, dude. Is there anything more obvious than Terry Taylor sent this note in when he says, according to those close to the situation, Terry Taylor had the best ideas. I mean, and here's, here's what else is obvious. And obviously I rail on Dave Meltzer on a regular basis because well, he deserves it. Um, but you know, when, when anybody wants, who's leaking, who's, who's the stooge. And that's really what it is. Terry Taylor was a stooge. He was a world-class stooge who really didn't have a clue how to do much of it. He was a good agent. Don't, don't get me wrong. He had his moments when, if he was laying out a match or we were talking about psychology, Terry had some, some real value, but he was such a detriment because he was a stooge and he was such a self promoter. But if there's any question in anybody's mind where all Dave's inside information came from, I think we just heard it. Now I think we're pretty sure we know. The What we don't know and what Meltzer conveniently danced around um, was why did Terry Taylor leave? If it wasn't because of his great ideas, what was it? What was those what, what were the things that just happened in life that kind of created a situation where Terry Taylor, given his the wealth and the, the value of those amazingly creative ideas, had to be let go at a time when WCW needed them the most? One should ask. I wonder. Uh, by the way, we just saw we've got the former Clarence Mason here doing commentary, and it looked like it was going to be uh, two on one with uh big T and uh Stevie Ray beating the shit out of uh Billy Kidman when all of a sudden we see Billy Kidman has backup in Booker T who's made his way down and of course on the outside on one side Tory Wilson on the other side Swole Billy Kidman going to go up top after the book in from Booker big flying elbows he makes the cover and Swole pulls him out of the ring the referee out of the ring so we can't count 3 is Swole the most massive human in the history of wrestling? Man, he, I mean, he, he, <laughs> he made Al Green look svelte. And Swole was, he just looked like he was going to explode at any moment. He looks like a cartoon character. Really does. Like a Marvel, you know, he's ready to run through walls or some shit. But either way, uh, Booker T and Billy Kidman can't pick up the win here. The new Harlem Heat pick up the win after a little bit of interference from their friend Swole with a big slam. Did you see Swole when Swole was trying to get into the ring? It, it you, you were saying it looks like he could run through walls. Well, sliding in under the ring rope, bottom ring rope, was a real challenge for him. He almost got stuck. <laughs> Dude, the arms are just cartoonish, big, massive. Jeff Jarrett now having an intense conversation in with space. the wall in space. The, in space. I'm just saying with the backdrop being completely blacked out, it looks like they're floating in space. And, and speaking of space, here's somebody who's uh, trying some new stuff. The space cowboy himself, Dustin Rhodes, the former gold dust. Now he's in WCW wearing a black leather uh, shirt, black leather pants, black leather gloves, black leather boots, black leather hat. And he's got the old Fu Manchu. I wonder what's coming here as we're teasing spring breakout 2000 South Padre Island, Texas, uh, young Dave Silva is going to be there, uh, trying to uh, find 
friends' cars to wreck, I'm sure. <laughs> You're never going to let him off the hook on us, are you? I'm not. You got to hear this promo from Three Can't Hear for Ricky Ratman. I'm going to play this audio. We sing, we dance, we wrestle, we got all the beautiful women. What more can you ask for? I'll ask you, Sugar Shane. Every town that we've gone to with Three Count so far, there's like ladies banging on the doors of the buses, ladies waiting in the hotel room. They all know if you ain't down with the three, then you don't count. I notice you've got the gold belt. You've also got the gold records. You're going to be joining us the whole road to spring breakout, right? That's right, Ricky. We're going to be right here. But let me remind you, everybody, I go down to three count. Now, thanks for uh, showing up here tonight. Next week, we're going to be at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island with three count and some nitro girl. Dude, I don't know why, but that, that should not have been in the show. I understand they're trying to get over that. Oh, nitro is a party, but this looks like the lamest shit ever. And the guys clearly don't want to be there. It's Shannon Moore's. And by the way, if you have an opportunity to see Shannon Moore on an indie show in your area, you should go. He does not look like this version of Shannon Moore. He looks like something right off the set of Mad Max, and you're going to get a really badass match. He's probably one of the more underutilized performers who can still go. And I'm really surprised that he's not on a more major platform, whether it's Impact or Ring of Honor or AEW. There should be a spot for Shannon somewhere, a bigger spot in wrestling. But the promo here, uh, he was not comfortable, to say the least. No, he was not. You know, shout out to Shannon, too. I saw Shannon about a month ago, I think, uh, when I was down in Florida. Uh, my son Garrett uh, was was part of a event that was raising money for Wounded Warriors, and he asked me to come along with him, and I did. And Shannon showed up also to, to support the effort and spent some time with Shannon. Shannon, like a lot of guys, you know, he's gone through a lot in the industry, ups and downs and personal challenges, and had his own issues with – uh, addiction and dependence and he kicked out and is now a counselor and is working with a lot of people who had some of the same issues that he had and he's having a great deal of success in the process so shout out to shannon moore doing doing a great job and, and doing some great things by the way dustin Rhodes here is here to cut a heel promo in the crowd saying he's tired of all of you smart marks reading all the dumb stuff on the internet and it's made me realize in time that I hate you all and you're nothing but ungrateful, spoiled assholes. And, uh, you know, I got to do what it takes to impress you. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use this barbed wire. Yes. He brought out strands of barbed wire on nitro, uh, with his leather gloves, but he's got a handful of, of barbed wire here and he's going to call out Terry funk and man, Terry funk here is probably. Uh, 83 years old when he comes to the ring <laughs> and yeah. I don't think like it's one of the more entertaining things on the entire show. And I don't know. I, I think, I, I don't think Terry Funk gets enough recognition. I don't think he's on enough Mount Rushmore's, uh, and maybe it's because he was never on the big stage for very long. Once the more modern television era, you know, like during the Monday night wars and obviously we're so technically in them here. He did a, a few things with the WWF as Chainsaw Charlie, and he's going to pop up here a little bit, but he didn't have the long sustained TV run that maybe a rock or an Austin or a Hogan or a flair did. But I, I think you got to put Terry Funk on that Mount Rushmore. I agree with you. And it's unfortunate. And I, you're right. I think it was all timing. You know, Terry Funk's career was pretty much starting to wind down, you know, for, 
about the time that the industry was really beginning to explode at a national level. And particularly at this time, you know, we, we started to talk a few minutes ago, you know, at this point, you know, Nitro gets a 2.08 and Raw gets a six point something. You know, you've got 8 million people watching wrestling going off head to head. I mean, in whatever, you know, there was a period of time a year or two before when it was WCW that was on top. You know, when, when people talk, you know, today in terms of ratings, first of all, most people don't know how ratings work or what they represent. And the industry itself has gone from, you know, reporting ratings, you know, ratings and shares to now just total viewers, which, you know, makes a lot more sense if, if you're not familiar with the, the method of how that all computed. But, you know, you're looking at, you know, Monday Night Raw now delivering 2.2, 2.3, 2.4 million viewers on a good night. SmackDown, you're probably looking at an average of 2.4, 2.5. Well, back in the day, that re- would have represented about a two rating. And here, if you're making an analysis, here you're looking at Raw at a six point six and change and Nitro at just under three. That's the difference between then and now. And you got AEW who still struggles to, to break a million and, and Next even struggling even more. Um, it's just really amazing to see what has happened to the wrestling audience over the years and, you know, how big it was. What are you laughing at? Terry Falk has just reached into a trash bag. Uh, oh, this say, is awesome. This is, uh, this is awesome. Your daddy. And it's a chicken, a raw chicken with a diaper on. And he just threw it right at Dustin and hit him in the head with a chicken, a raw chicken with a diaper on. Uh, because you're the son of a chicken, you little chicken choker. And here's what I think of your daddy and shows a fucking raw chicken with a, with a diaper on. This is a g- <coughs> I am so sorry. I didn't mean to choke on my words. This is a character. This is why you're absolutely right. Terry Funk should be on a lot more Mount Rushmore's because I guarantee you nobody wrote that for him. No. And by the way, I love that you got caught up and, uh, had a little coughing fit there. You, you were choking on the chicken. I was, <laughs> you fucker. Damn. <laughs> How about Dustin wearing him out? He tried to do a, uh, a, a pile driver, a little missed time. They're going to try it again. They hit it this time. You know, listen, I think you give a little bit of latitude to a performer like Terry Funk when you realized he is at this advanced age and. Uh, you know, you give him a pass if there's a little botch here or there, but Lord, was he 54 at this point? You know, that's a good question. I really should look it up. I joked earlier that, you know, he was 20 years ago. I think he's 74 now or 71. Yeah. He's 75. So he's 55 here. Yeah. He's 55. That's yeah. Give him a lot of latitude. And he's wrapping up Dustin here in the barbed wire. Dustin selling it like crazy. By the way, it's, it's amazing to see the transformation that Dustin has gone through. I mean, he is so much leaner and more svelte now. Um, he's probably in the best shape of his life right now. I think he started to really turn that around probably eight or nine years ago. And I'll never forget seeing him in person for the first time in a long time in 2013 and being like, Whoa, this is a different guy. And there you see the, uh, the raw chicken with a diaper on funk's not leaving without it. He's got to go pick up dusty. That is so funny. Swing God, I want to high five Terry Funk just because of this scene. This is so cool. You know something you should do if you haven't? Uh, have you ever been to the Cauliflower Alley reunion? No, I never have. We should go this year. 
because uh, Terry's going to host with JJ Dillon. And, uh, of course a bunch of, uh, a bunch of folks are going to be there. And if you've never been, I think you should go and hang out with some of your old wrestling brethren. Where is it? It's in Vegas, right? It's in Vegas. Yeah. Late April. Oh, just give me one good reason to go to Vegas. Just one is all I need. doesn't even have to be a good one. I That's think, a good one, but I don't even need a good one. I think, uh, our, our friend, uh, and attorney, Mr. Michael Dawkins is going to be there too. We can have some fun. Ooh, I like Michael. Smart guy, by the way. Good Co- attorney. Coming up next, we've got, uh, well, what we hope is our main event is Jeff Jarrett and the wall taking on Sid and Vampiro. We should mention too, uh, just a few days before this, maybe a week out, Chris Candido and Tammy Sitch would uh, get their formal releases from ECW and sign with WCW. I mention it because Tammy made all kinds of, uh, headlines this week when it was revealed that she's finally been released from prison. So I'm a big, uh, sunny fan from way back in the day. And I'm, I'm glad she's out and looking forward to seeing what's next for her. Wish her the best. She's, uh, she's had a rough go of it for the last several years and needs to turn it around and fully support her and hope that she's able to do that. Well, I hope that, uh, some of our listeners are uh, paying attention to this show today because this is an interesting time in WCW and Lord knows we've got lots of interesting times that we've covered in WCW, but these, this era of shows in particular, uh, I don't know. They just, they're fascinating to go back and look at because even though I was watching, I have almost no recollection. Well, I mean, so much happened and it was so chaotic at this point. You know, I left in September of 1999. They brought in Vince Russo. It only took him about a month and a half or two months to figure out that was a shit show and a mistake. Brad Siegel didn't know what to do. They made a big decision to pay or play me and send me home. Uh, made another big decision by bringing in Vince Russo, who had convinced Bill Bush and Brad Siegel that, you know, Vince Russo was the reason that WWE was able to turn their business around. Brad and, and, and Bush bought it hook, line, and sinker. Like I said, they got buyer's remorse about 90 days later, state of confusion, didn't know what to do. Brad didn't want the egg on his face of having to fire a guy that he just made a big commitment to because he bought a line of bullshit hook, line, and sinker. Knew that he couldn't keep Russo around because, believe it or not, WCW was in worse shape three months after I left or four months after I left than it was when I was there. And it was pretty bad when I was there. And Brad didn't know what to do. Not speaking for Brad here or putting words in his mouth, but clearly when he decided to reach out to me, right about this time, we're engaged in pretty significant negotiations negotiations it's that the you know wcw is in the state of flux fast forward just a couple months by july i was gone because of russo again and uh shortly after that wcw was up for sale so there was a lot of from september of 99 to you know july there was just so much going on and none of it made a great deal of sense there was a lot of chaos where did medasia come from is any of your research reveal any of that i thought that was uh i thought she was somebody that steiner found like a well, i know he found her and it was a steiner thing but i'd like to know where he found her well she's a a, a former fitness uh model and personal trainer so he probably oh there you go probably met her at the gym yeah well that makes sense she was hot she did a she lot was of, great uh, she did a lot of covers with stuff like iron man and muscle mag and muscular development oh here we go uh, her agent introduced her to terry taylor let's just cut it off there before we get to see <laughs> 
Just cut it off right there before we get sued. And let's go back to the Dave Mouser report. Yeah, my apologies. Uh, of, of the mysterious reason why Terry Taylor had to leave. I'm not. I'm just. I'm not connecting dots. I'm just saying this is so much irony in all of this. Next week, by the way, we're going to be covering the Monday Nitro from March 8th, 1999. We'll probably do a watch along for that one as well. Uh, this is when you're in your full-blown hell of still running WCW, but we'll have Raven versus Hack, the former Sandman. We'll have Jericho versus Lismark Jr. We'll have Scott Steiner versus Booker T for the TV title. We'll have Scott Norton versus Rey Mysterio. Talk about Styles Clash. We'll have Van Hammer versus Bret Hart. That's not a rib. And then we've got Ric Flair and Goldberg in the main event. So uh, a much different looking WCW just a year prior. That's what we'll be talking about next week. Don't watch the show. Watch it with us next week here on 83 weeks. It's March 8th, 1999. And we're seeing a recap of all the havoc that has been wrecked by the wall so far. Uh, I mean, just one table after another with busted choke slams. It's just, uh, the wall, man, he's ready for the big push. I can't wait to do that show next week. I'm going to, I'm going to dust off my play by play for that one. Cause that was when I had my fingerprints all over. So that I'm going to, yeah, we're going to have some fun with that show. That's what I'm going to do right now. If you're not watching along with us, you got the wall and Vampiro in the ring wall, obviously a much bigger opponent and Vampiro has a moment and his offense is a slap to the chest, not a chop, not something that winds up from way back in the cheap seats. He just slaps him in the chest. That's an example of what the fuck? Why would he do that? Take me out of the moment. Yeah, I get that. Here comes uh, Jeff Jarrett. You know, I used to have uh, a nickname for my a part of my remote. The fast forward button was called the Jeff Jarrett button. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, the relationship with Russo and Jeff was such that 
you know, Russo was pushing the hell out of Jeff. Jeff, of course, being, you know, and I'm going to use the word, uh, and I don't mean it disparagingly, but, you know, all all performers uh, were opportunists. If there's an opportunity, you're going to take it. If there's not an opportunity, you're going to make it. That's the way you survived in the wrestling industry and probably still is to this day. And I think Jeff Jarrett was probably one of the most proficient opportunists of them all and certainly wasn't going to leave that uh, that opportunity to go by without trying to maximize it. But in the process, really overexposed himself and kind of forced himself down the throat of the audience with the support of Russo. And it, it really backfired on him. You know, Jeff Jarrett, I think technically, you know, right up there, in my opinion, with Kurt Hennig and, and some of the greater technicians and, and it's like, you know, guys who really understood psychology in the ring. I don't think there were too many people better, but as a character, just eh, never really there. Not, not at this level, not at a main event level. The audience just was never going to buy it, but rather than acknowledge that and and make the most of the opportunities that he could have exceeded at, um, he and Russo made just too much of an effort to force Jeff into this main event level, and the audience was just never going to buy it. What's weird? My opinion. What's just weird? my opinion. I totally agree with you. I felt like he's sort of the WCW version of Roman Reigns in more recent years where the for whatever reason, the quote unquote office has decided this is who we're going with. And it doesn't matter if the fans are into it or not. That's what we're doing. And so as a result, I just wasn't a big Jeff Jarrett fan. And then I actually met him in real life. He couldn't be a more charming, engaging guy. And I, I don't know. I, I, I look back at this stuff now and say, why did I hate this so much? It wasn't that and, bad. And smart. I mean, if you really want to sit down and talk psychology and history of, of the business and I mean, he's not always the greatest communicator, but if you get him in the right frame of mind and the right setting, and you really want to talk about what works and what doesn't work, you know, back in the day or even in today's environment, really, really, really knowledgeable. And I think his role as a producer in WWE is probably one of the smartest things that he's done and, and WWE, they're, they're lucky to have him. And he's reigning supreme here at the end of the show. As he holds up the uh, big gold belt, he is your world champion guitar shot to the back. Oh, and your, uh, us champion. I guess he's not your world champion, but he wants to be, and he's on a collision course to be, he is your United States champion. Going to be challenging Sid for that world title. Uh, he likes the way that belt is going to look around his waist. And, uh, we hope that you guys will tune in and, uh, we'll revisit 1999 and we'll get to compare uh, sort of one year apart, what WCW looked like and what an interesting time in wrestling 1991 or 1999 was, uh, because you've got a lot of moving parts. The, uh, the, the Goldberg experiment has, has started to dwindle a little bit because we beat him and now we've got to sort of see what's new for 99. We put the NWO back together in January. We'll catch up March 8th, 1999 next week. Then we're going to have fun on the 16th with uncensored 1995. One of the worst shows in history. We've covered it before, but it's worth a little more fun. Uh, March 23rd, we'll tag back into this era and we'll look at uncensored 2000 March 30th, probably our most requested show ever stings 1997 April 6th. It's the nitro restart, which is uh, April 10th, 2000. So right after uncensored. Uh, and then we'll look at something we've never done before on April 13th, TNA lockdown, 2010, 
Uh, of course, spring stampede 2000 coming your way on April 20th. And then we'll round out April on the 27th with hashtag ask Eric anything. Lots of good stuff coming up here on 83 weeks, man. Can't wait. I'm excited. Well, really excited. Tell a friend about your favorite podcast. Of course, it's here on Westwood one each and every Monday. It's 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. We'll see you next week. Hey, everybody. This is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.